from the Carter Subaru Studios. This is Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome to Cairo Nights. I am Jake Scorheim, your host. Thank you guys so much for joining us tonight on Thursday night. We've got a great show planned for you tonight. Not every night is great like this, but tonight we have so much fantastic audio. We have so many things to laugh at. There's a lot happening in the news. There's cell phone outages that may or may not be uh, coordinated, cyber attacks. There's presidents who are saying very interesting things that don't always completely make sense. And just a ton of stuff happening in the news. A lot of stuff. And there's a giant wine crime that maybe has been solved. We're going to get into all of that tonight. I promise. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, But first, I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit about the difference between... This is a personal story I want to share with you guys. This happened to me this morning. And this like perfectly... uh, displays the difference between men and women, or at least me and my wife. Maybe you and your uh, significant other are not that different. Uh, Me and mine are quite different. So this morning, I'm in the kitchen. Matt, I thought you'd like this story. Uh, This morning, I'm in the kitchen, and I'm whistling, as I often do, because I have joy in my heart, and I'm just a person who whistles all the time. I'm just whistling away. (laughs) Whistling, whistling. My wife walks out, and she goes, "Uh, is that Mandy Moore? I said, what? She said, what? She says, what? Uh, is that Mandy Moore? I said, what are you talking about? She says, what are you whistling? And I said, three amigos, naturally. I don't know why I was whistling three amigos, but I was. And she says, that's not a walk to remember. And this is just, a, and I, of course, no, I was not whistling a walk. I don't even know. I'm aware that a walk to remember was a movie that Mandy Moore was in. Uh, it was, I was not the target demographic but I guess my wife was because that's what she thinks I was whistling. All right, let's get to it now. We have a lot of stuff to get to. Here's some trivia that I'm going to play for you guys right now. If you guys don't know the answer to this, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't stress out about it. I will tell you at the top of the news roundup. Here's another thing you can uh, uh, you can look into. Um, if you want to text us, hit us up on the text line, 888-973-5476 at the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line. You can text us the answer there. Maybe we'll be able to get back to your text before the news roundup, and you guys can let me know uh, if you knew what the answer was. All right, so here's a clip. Good luck. I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. They didn't, didn't stop to think if they should. All right, this, this is a very easy trivia clip. And if you guys, uh, if you guys don't know this, I question the relationship, and I hope that you know it. I'm, I'm sure that you know it. I, it's the, it's the lowest hanging fruit we have ever had on the show. So you're gonna get it. I I mean I just know it. I know you're gonna get it. All right, let's move on. This is a wine crime that I want to highlight here, and this is horrible. I just find this horrible. I love wine. I really like to drink it. My favorite type of wine is to drink a Sauve Blanc, which is a lovely white white wine. I can't say wine for some reason. A lovely white wine. Uh, it's got a real kind of a, an acidic barrel taste to it, almost like it's been kept in a steel drum or something. I love it. 
It's a very summery type of wine. My wife and I drink this with ice. She doesn't right now because she's pregnant with our fourth boy. But when she's not pregnant with one of our kids, uh, we like to drink white wine with ice and we like to watch The Bachelor. It's kind of an embarrassing thing, but whatever. Get over it. Uh, Como News has a story. There was a Woodenville winery and this video was going, uh, this video was circulating a couple months back, back in November. Somebody broke into one of their facilities and emptied a ton of wine. And now we think we know. We ha- and we had some ring footage of it. Somebody, or not ring, whatever it was. Uh, uh, security camp footage from the winery. They posted to see if anybody knew who this could be because they ruined a lot of their wine. And Komono has a story. They have a suspect. They have arrested somebody. Thank the Lord, because we don't want this guy going around. I don't know if it's a guy or gal. I think it's a guy. Yeah, it's a man. Uh, he's in his 60s. Como News has the details. A suspect is now under arrest for this expensive mess at a Woodenville winery. Last November, someone entered Sparkman Cellars and drained thousands of gallons of wine onto the floor. The damage was estimated at $600,000. Detectives say a Seattle man in his 60s was taken into custody yesterday. They say he is a former employee of that winery, but right now there is no word on a motive for the crime. I mean... If I just had to guess, I'd say the motive was the fact that he's a former employee. I don't know that that's the case. Uh, I mean, I know he says he's a former employee. I don't know if that's the motive, but that's what be my guess. So he dumped a lot of wine. So how much wine is $600,000 worth of wine? According to officials, it's 24,000 bottles. That's crazy. And in the video, you can see it's just like he clearly looks like he knows what he's doing. He breaks into this place. And or he gets into it, I guess, because he's uh, according to the King County Sheriff's Office, he's a former employee, which means that he probably had access to it somehow. So he gets in and in the video, you can see him going over to these giant wine casks and he breaks one open and then he breaks another one open in the video. That's what it looks like. That's what it appears, allegedly. And then there's this wine, just like this rush of wine. Like you're looking at the, uh, like you're on the Universal Studios tour and they do, do they still do that Universal Studios tour? Do you guys remember that one where they have that little town and you're sitting in those little uh, cable cars and you're watching as the town is flooded and you see just the water coming at you, the torrent of water just cascading down, coming at you. That's what this looks like at this Woodenville uh, winery. That's a bummer for them. I hope that they're able to prosecute this guy. I don't imagine he probably has $600,000 to make up for it. I'm sure that uh, insurance covered it, but bad deal. Don't want to waste wine. All right, next story. According to the Wall Street Journal, and this is kind of bad news, actually, but but it makes sense. Like it's uh, it, If you've bought groceries anytime in the last few years, according to the Wall Street Journal, which is a website that I read when I'm feeling very, very smart, I read some of their articles, Uh, Listen to this headline. It's been 30 years since food ate up this much of your income. Are you guys experiencing this? Are you experiencing the cost of food? Are you recognizing how much you're spending percentage-wise of your monthly income on food? So this is from the Wall Street Journal article. The last times Americans spent this much money on food, George H.W. Bush was in office. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. Terminator uh, 2, Judgment Day, was in the movie theaters. I'll be back. 
And C&C Music Factory was rocking the Billboard charts. I'm sorry, this is from uh, the Wall Street Journal piece. I didn't actually know who C&C Music Factory was, which maybe dates me a little bit. Uh, I was kind of young, and so I would not have recognized in 1991 uh, that the food prices were really high, and I would not have recognized, uh, let's see, this is not back in 1991. This is 30 years ago, so this would have been, uh, you know, a little little more recent than that, 94, I guess. Um but it would have been, so CNC Music Factory, I had to look this up. But as soon as I heard them, I knew exactly what the song was. All right, so according to this article in Wall Street Journal, it says that relief isn't likely to arrive soon. Restaurant and food company executives say that they are still grappling with rising labor costs and some ingredients, such as cocoa, uh, that are only getting more expensive. Consumers, they said, will find ways to cope. Um, let's see, uh, there's a guy they talked to here. He says, if you look historically after periods of inflation, there's really no period that you could point to where prices go back down. That's a bummer. Uh, Steve Kalani, he is the chief executive of snack giant Kelanova. I don't know who that is, but apparently they're a snack giant. He says, uh, these prices tend to be sticky. In 1991, the U.S. consumers, U.S. consumers spent 11.4% of their disposable personal income on food according to data from the U.S. Agricultural Department. At the time, households were still dealing with steep food price increases following an inflationary period during the 1970s. Um, a lot of people remember that. I don't. Again, wasn't born yet. More than three decades later, food spending has reattained that level. USD, uh, USDA data shows in 2022, consumers spent 11.3% of their disposable income on food, and that is the most recent data available. Um, this was interesting to say many diners have said that they are going out less frequently or skipping appetizers while buying in cheaper store brands more frequently when they go to supermarkets. They're seeking out promotional deals. Uh, they're also trying to figure out how to cope via um, apps and coupons. And this is starting to chip away at some sales for food makers and restaurant operators. Biden has also noticed this. You guys, I don't know if you remember this, but during the Super Bowl, they put out a post on social media where he was talking about shrinkflation. Do you guys know what shrinkflation is? It sounds like a, uh, a dirty joke, but it's not. It's talking about food, and Biden was very concerned about it. The Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller. A bag of chips has fewer chips, but they're still charging it just as... A bag of chips has fewer chips. As much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually... <laughs> I love that part. As an ice cream lover, what makes him the most angry? There's like a lot of stuff to be concerned about right now in the world. And But this guy loves ice cream. He talks about ice cream all the time. That's his favorite thing to be interviewed about. Shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. Yes. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the product's little by little and hoping you won't notice give me a break give me a break have you guys noticed this the uh shrinkflation i have actually noticed this there was a i can't remember when exactly it was i feel like it was early in the pandemic but there was a time where i was noticing that like even like the hamburgers it seemed like at mcdonald's or maybe it was burger king i'm not sure which eatery it was but it, the hamburgers look tiny and all this stuff just looked tiny. And I was thinking to myself, like, how quickly are they able to, like, recalibrate these machines who are making these things that are normally just, like, stamped out? But, yeah, things are getting smaller. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. 
I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now. Come on, businesses. Come on. Uh, a suburban Chicago mom, this is in the Wall Street Journal piece, Lisa Wister, she said that her food bills are rising faster than her family's income, leading them to make their own granola from scratch. Oh, that's a shame. And to pack their own snacks for the movies. Everything is a negotiation, she says. An analysis of our budget, said Wister. It's exhausting. This is something that I grew up doing. I don't remember ever buying snacks at the movie theater. I feel like my parents always made us go with snacks. If we ever went to go see movies, which was a real treat, uh, we usually packed, we were like sneaking, surreptitiously sneaking popcorn into our pockets and uh, bringing it there. It's actually a really great way to save money. You can save a ton of money by just not buying snacks at these places. Uh, but this lady had to make her own granola. Have you guys been coping in any specific way? Have you guys been uh, doing anything different? Are you clipping coupons? Are you uh, not buying name brand items anymore? Have you guys been, have you even been noticing this? Have you noticed that more than 10%, according to Wall Street Journal, 10% of your uh, income is going to food? I, I've actually had to start making my own socks. I, now I'm, And I'm making them out of granola. I'm just kidding. That's dumb. It's just, it's just a stupid, dumb joke. Um, no, but these are like, there's a lot of ways you could save money. Um, I shop at Fred Meyer. We shop at Fred Meyer. Fred Meyer has this cool thing where you can like go online they don't sponsor the show. This is not a, a, a promotional thing for Fred Meyer. Just, I appreciate good service. Uh, like my dad says, Fred Meyer's all your heart's desires. You can find them at Fred Meyer's. Uh, so at Fred Meyer, uh, we do all of our shopping on the app. And then you just like, you can apply coupons and things like that to your purchase. So you don't even have to show up with a paper coupon. You just uh, apply these things. And um, uh, actually, no, I do think you have to bring coupons sometimes. Anyway, the cool part is you just pull up in front of the store. They'll just put it in your trunk. I don't know if that's saving a ton of money, but it's saving time because the last thing I want to do is go through the store with my kids uh, as they are just ravagingly hungry, throwing things into the cart. That's a pain, but that's like how I did it as a kid. Do you guys remember that when we were kids? You all had to shop with your parents. If you're listening to the show right now, you're probably over a certain age. You're probably over the age of 16, and you probably all remember shopping with your parents, just hanging on to the side of the cart, throwing stuff in. How much time did my mom spend at uh, the grocery store with all of us little kids just hanging on to the cart? And she had to walk around. There's, there was no apps back then. Things have changed so dramatically. It's so crazy to me. You can now sit on your couch. You can be watching some streamed show that has no commercials. And you can be shop, grocery shopping and do all of this simultaneously at the same time. And still we're like, ugh, life is so tough. Life is great. Life is so great right now. Technology is amazing. It's amazing what you can do these days. And now I sound really old because I'm talking about how amazing technology is. Uh, all right, let's move on. Speaking of technology, people freaked out earlier today. There was reports that three major cell phone networks were experiencing outages. Thousands and thousands of people across the country, apparently. It started with AT&T, and then the FBI was looking into whether or not this, is, this was a cyber attack. This is an ABC News article. They said a network disruption is affecting AT&T customers in the U.S. Thursday, prompting federal agencies to investigate whether the outage was caused by a cyber attack. In a statement to ABC News, the company confirmed the outage and advised customers to make calls over Wi-Fi. So like, that's as far, <laughs> that's as far as it went. Again, pretty good. Things are pretty good in the U.S. when we're, everybody's freaking out. Is it a cyber attack? Oh my gosh, I don't have cell phone coverage. Well, I could still just like make a call over Wi-Fi. Yeah, 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 you, you, you could do that. I guess you could do that. 
if worse comes to worse, you could just get on Wi-Fi and you could still make those same calls. In fact, it might be a little clearer and you're going to save on your, on your data and your data, not data and your data and your minutes because you're calling over Wi-Fi, which is, I think is just free. And you're not using any of your data. You're not using any of your minutes. Do people still have minutes or is it all just unlimited? Uh, you can just use your Wi-Fi. Uh, two sources briefed on the situation told ABC News that the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, Homeland, not Homeland, uh, among other agencies, are now urgently investigating to determine whether the AT&T outages are a result of a cyber attack or possibly a hack or also it could just be a technical malfunction. NBC was actually reporting that it was more widespread than just AT&T. Here's their headline. They said, AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile customers have been hit by widespread cellular outages in the United States. But, as it was then also reported shortly after, Verizon and T-Mobile both told ABC News that their respective networks are not experiencing outages, but customers may experience difficulty when contacting individuals who are affected by the outages at other providers. So, People on Verizon and people at T-Mobile were calling people on AT&T who had outages and it wasn't working immediately and then they were freaking out. Isn't that a strange thing that we all do now? And I'm guilty of doing this too. And I shudder to think what my kids are going to be like in the future because I at least grew up in a time where you had to wait for things. I remember watching commercials and not being able to do anything about it. I remember watching the beginning of my programs. These are all examples of me watching TV, which I did a lot of as a kid. Uh, these are all, uh, uh, I, I, would, I would watch a program on TV. First, I'd have to wait a week for it. If I liked the show, I would go, oh, great, this is nice. I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna make a mental note in a week from now. I'm gonna come back and watch the show, which is insane. Can you imagine your kids doing that now? Like if they're watching Bluey and they go, oh, this was great, I really enjoyed watching Bluey, good. How about in seven days, you can come back to this exact same time, this exact same place, and you can watch it again? No. Kids now just go like, oh, Bluey was really great. I'm going to watch 57 more of these in a row. And every time that the commercial, every time that the theme song comes on at the beginning, that's five seconds, I'm going to hit the skip button because if I have to wait five seconds, I'm going to lose my mind. And again, I, I didn't even plan on talking about how good everything is, but things are really good in the world. And so I hope... When you listen to this show, I hope that you feel hopeful and I hope that you enjoy uh, all the great things that life has to offer you. And when you do have little problems like a cell phone outage, that it doesn't ruin your life. I really hope that's the case for you because life is pretty good. You got a good life. You got a good life. All right. We got a lot of stuff coming up on the show. Matt, tell them what we got. All right. Coming up on tonight's edition of Cairo Nights, advice from a popular podcaster for the Biden campaign. Also, it's four fab films as Beatles fans have something to look forward to in the cinema. I myself am very excited. We'll find out all about that, plus the news roundup, all headed your way on Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I want to uh, play you guys an audio clip. I played a little bit of this last night. I didn't have a chance to play all of this, but I was really interested in this, actually. Uh, do you guys know who Charlemagne the God is? He is a radio host. He hosts a very popular syndicated show called The Breakfast Club. He had this to say about President Joe Biden, which I thought was kind of a really interesting point he was making. Why is it not resonating? Well, he's, a, he's just an uninspiring candidate. Like, you know, there's nothing about, you know, Joe Biden that makes you want to listen to him. That's why he should be leaning on, you know, his vice president, Kamala Harris, who's way more 
charismatic than him. He should be le leaning on, you know, other surrogates like, you know, G Gavin Newsom or, you know, Sh Sh Shapiro in, 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 in Pennsylvania. Like, he should be leaning on people who have are more inspiring than him, who are more charismatic than him, and he should just be, I guess, if you want to call it, the, the brains of the operation behind the scenes. Like, that sounds crazy that we're saying that about a president of the United States of America, but he, he has no main character energy. I, have you ever heard that description before? No main character energy. Um, I think it's a really good way to describe something. And I think a lot of people actually do feel that way about Biden. They kind of say, all right, this guy doesn't appear to be the, the main guy pulling the strings. Uh, certainly with Trump. When you look at Trump, you go, yes, uh, Trump seems to be in full command for, <laughs> for better or worse. Uh, he's got a lot of main character energy. And you may not like that main character. You might find that uh, character be kind of villainous. But he at least certainly seems energized. Biden doesn't really seem to have a ton of energy. And so I just thought this was kind of an interesting way that he was describing Biden. And what is that? Is that age? Is it the way he is? I mean, why, why do you, what, what's the problem? I don't think it has anything to do with, 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 with age. You know, I think it has just everything to do with, with him. Like Donald Trump is, what, four years, three years younger than President Biden? But he just comes off a lot more youthful. He comes off, you know, like he has a lot more energy. And I always say this about them. Donald Trump seems more sincere about his lies than Joe Biden does about his truth. You know what's really interesting to look at and go and again like I'm not a I'm not a great Trump fan. Personally, I wish that we could get uh new candidates in both parties so that you could have a real serious actual discussion about it. I mean, it seems like everybody's so entrenched it's like, "Oh, you either have to support Biden 100% or you have to support Trump 100%." I think they're both really old and they both have a lot of baggage, like a ton of baggage. It would be great to get somebody fresh in there, somebody a little bit younger. Uh, but Nate Silver, he is an author. He's a statistician. He covers politics and sports. He proposed something that is kind of interesting and leads to a, a, a kind of an interesting discussion, too. But um, he said that uh, with the Democrat convention coming up in August, that he does think that Biden has the opportunity to kind of turn things around. And what he proposes is, he says, here's what I'd propose. He says, over the course of the next several weeks, Biden should do four lengthy sit-down interviews with non-friendly sources. And then he defines non-friendly. He says non-friendly doesn't mean hostile. Um, what it means is a nonpartisan reporter with a track record of asking tough questions and then also release a complete recording of the interviews. And they should be made public so that people can look at them and say, hey, and they can scrutinize them, which is okay. We should be able to scrutinize the president of the United States. I think if you're doing four sit-down interviews, you probably could get a pretty good, you know, a pretty good read on where he's at mentally. And this tends to happen with all presidents, not the mental decline. Uh, generally, people are not president when they're into their 80s. But so for comparison, Barack Obama had given more than 400 interviews at this point in his presidency. That guy was, you know, he was a great talker. He loved to talk. Donald Trump, more than 300 interviews. Biden, fewer than 100. And a bunch of them are kind of softball or they're on friendly podcasts, things like that. Uh, here's a hard-hitting interview that he did with Ryan Seacrest on New Year's Eve. And he talked about his old favorite thing. I'm curious, what sort of holiday foods have you been enjoying over the last few days? Well, I've been eating everything that's put in front of me. But I've eaten <laughs> pasta, which I love. Yeah. eating a lot of chicken, chicken parmesan. I've been eating all, all Italian foods, basically. And ice cream. And ice cream. Chocolate chip ice cream. And ice cream. Chocolate chip ice cream. You would think, actually, like, if I was advising President Biden's campaign, I would say, hey, you guys need to get this guy out there so he can talk to people and do what Nate Silver suggests. Show people that this guy is, 
sharp and with it. Do you guys remember just a couple days ago we were talking about John Stewart? John Stewart is back on the Daily Show now after uh, a many year hiatus, and he basically was saying that uh, Biden is having some age issues. And he was kind of—I mean, he was making fun of both of them. He was making fun of Biden. He was also making fun of Trump, talking about how they're both pretty old. But he had this to say about President Biden: These two candidates, they are both similarly challenged, and it is not crazy to think that the oldest people in the history of the country to ever run for president might have some of these challenges. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. President Biden, who I've been around uh, numerous times just in this last year, is sharp. He's focused. He's bright. He is sharp, intensely probing and detail oriented and focused. This is a man who is sharp, who is on top of his game, who knows what's going on. He's smart. He's on his game. I was in almost every meeting with the president and the president was in front of and on top of it all coordinating and directing leaders who are in charge of America's national security not to mention our allies around the globe did anyone film that <laughs> Because if you're, if you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. <laughs> that would be good to show to people instead of a TikTok where he goes, cookie. <laughs> That's a funny line. Uh, but no, I, here, here's what I think. And this is, this is totally, I think this is totally fair. There's a lot of people who criticize age and things like that, or, you, or, or a lot of people who say you shouldn't be able to be critical of people in the White House because of age. And that's just not fair. If somebody's going to subject themselves to that kind of scrutiny because they want to be in power and they want to run the country, you should be able to question a lot of things. Clearly, you should be able to question their uh, cognitive abilities, for sure. And a great way to do that is to do some interviews. These used to happen all of the time. Donald Trump did a ton of these that were really uncomfortable. Donald Trump has a special skill where he can just start talking and just say stuff and he just comes up with it comes up with like false straw men all the time as he's talking and it just kind of works. People say we shouldn't say that, but we're, but we're going to do it. And he does all this kind of stuff. Do you remember this? Bill Clinton actually did one of these interviews. This is a really famous interview. The Clinton team knew going into this interview, this is back during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. This was not going to be a comfortable interview, but we at least felt comfortable that Bill Clinton could handle himself against a reporter which is what a president should be able to do. Mr. President, welcome. Thank you, Jim. The news of this day is that Kenneth Starr, the independent counsel, is investigating allegations that you suborned perjury by encouraging a 24-year-old woman, former White House intern, to lie under oath in a civil deposition about her having had an affair with you. Mr. President, is that true? That is not true. That is not true. I did not ask anyone to tell anything other than the truth. There is no improper relationship, and I intend to cooperate with this inquiry, but that is not true. No improper relationship. Define what you mean by that. Well, I think you know what it means. It means that, uh, that there is not a, uh, a sexual relationship, an improper sexual relationship, or any other uh, kind of improper relationship. You had no sexual relationship with this young woman. There, there is not a sexual relationship. That is accurate. 
All right. Well, it actually was accurate. He did. And he later had to apologize for it. But the point is, even though knowing that it was going to be tough, he still sat down for the interview. That's what presidents should be able to do. That's my opinion. I think you probably agree with me. You might not. And if you don't, hit me up on the text line, 888-973-5476. We can hash it out there. But I think it would be a great idea if President Biden wants to turn this around and wants to get people confident that he can handle these types of things. Just do it. That's the easiest thing. He's got the ability. If he wants to be interviewed by somebody, he can. He's the president of the United States, and he should. All right, we got a lot more coming up. Stick around. We're going to be right back here on Cairo Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I found this story, and I thought you guys would enjoy this. I really like musical stories. I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Do you guys know who the Beatles are? The uh, They're a rock band from England. At least they, they were years ago. They, they weren't together for too long, but they had some pretty famous songs. They did pretty well. This is kind of interesting. So Sony Pictures Entertainment has just announced that they are going to make four separate Beatles movies. They're all in the works right now. And they're obviously going to focus, you know, the Beatles is made up of four guys, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And each one of those guys is going to get his own movie. Here's a really interesting part about this. Really cool. Filmmaker Sam Mendes, who has done a ton of stuff, he's a really great director, He's going to direct all four films. Uh, they made this announcement. They said that they've been granted for the first time ever. They have the full life story rights, musical rights to Ringo Paul, along with from the families of John Lennon and George Harrison, who are no longer with us. Um, and uh, Apple Corporation Limited. This is all according to Deadline. Um, Sam Mendes will tell the story of each of the famous quartet, each of the famous singers, uh, there will be interconnected stories. I would imagine that they're probably going to have all of the characters in all four separate movies. Really interesting, though, that they're going to make four separate movies of these guys. Uh, I find fascinating. Uh, this is from Sam Mendes again. He was talking to Deadline. He says, We went out to L.A. just before Christmas to pitch the project, and it's fair to say that we were met with universal enthusiasm. Uh, this is Sam Mendes talking to Deadline about meeting with Sony. He says the reason Sony stood out for our, uh, from, from other competing offers was down to Tom Rothman who runs Sony and also for Elizabeth Gabler. You guys don't know who these people are. It doesn't really matter. The executives at Stone, Sony were very passionate about this and really loved the Beatles. So they got really excited about it. And then I saw this other story, which I thought was so cool. Uh, Matt sent this to me actually. So good job, Matt, finding this story. Speaking of the Beatles, Paul McCartney famously plays the bass guitar, left-handed, which I guess it looked kind of silly back in the day. And so Paul McCartney had this favorite bass guitar that he played like 50 years ago, right at the beginning of their career when they were, uh, you know, when they were just coming up with the Beatles, when they were playing in the back, the back room of like Hamburg, Germany clubs, when they were nobodies, when they were just sleeping in broom closets, essentially. So he had this bass guitar that he played and it was special to him because it was the first one and it went missing like more than 50 years ago. It actually get, was stolen and they have just found it. Listen to this. This is really cool. Uh, this is from the Associated Press. This is from the London Associated Press. A five-year search for the manufacturer 
of the instrument that was aided by a husband and wife team of journalists helped reunite the Beatles star with the distinctive violin-shaped 19, I'm sorry, a five-year search by the manufacturer of the instrument. And this husband and wife team of journalists helped reunite the Beatles star with the distinctive violin-shaped 1961 electric Hofner that went missing a half century ago and is estimated to be worth 10 million pounds or $12.6 million US. Uh, McCartney was asked, uh, I'm sorry, McCartney had asked Hoffner to help find the missing instrument that helped launch Beatlemania across the universe. Scott Jones is a journalist who teamed up with the uh, maker of the instrument uh, to track it down. Paul said to me, hey, because you're from Hoffner, couldn't you help find my base? And the guy says, uh, that's what sparked this great hunt. Sitting there, seeing what the lost bass meant to Paul, I was determined to solve the mystery. McCartney apparently bought the bass guitar for about 30 pounds. Again, it's worth, uh, uh, so 30 pounds back in 1961 was about $37. So now it's worth 10 million pounds, which again, $12.6 million. Um, the Beatles, he used this guitar when they were living in Germany, playing in Hamburg, um, the instrument was also played on the first two records that they released, um, on hits such as love me do twist and shout. And she loves you. Paul says, because I was left-handed, it looked less daft because it was symmetrical. I got into that. And once I bought it, I just fell in love with it. It was rumored to have been stolen around the same time that the Beatles were recording their final album, let it be in 1969, but no one was sure when it went missing. So it goes missing for all these years, and they have now found it. It's a really interesting story. If you want to find out more about this, you can look this up. Just look up uh, McCartney gets his guitar back, his prized uh, bass guitar. I saw McCartney play a few years ago. It was about 10 years ago now, actually. Still to this day, best concert by far I have ever been to. It was so phenomenal. He was so great. And the reason that he was so great is because he just plays all the hits. And there's a lot of hits. There's a lot of hits. I don't even know who impression that is, uh, but he's 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 just the best. And I think he was like he was probably in his late sixties or early seventies at the time when he was playing. He must have been in his early seventies at the time because I think he's like eighty years old now. Uh, and he was just out there with so much energy. It also helped that I went with my parents. I went with my parents and my in laws. My wife and I took uh, all four of our parents, and we went to this concert. We got to sit there side by side as they watched this guy who they had been watching their entire lives play this amazing concert. Like three plus hours, half hour of encores, just the best, absolute best. All right, uh, so I'm glad to hear that Paul McCartney got his guitar back. And it's a very expensive guitar, but he can afford it because he's one of the richest guys, probably one of the richest musicians, if not the richest musician in the world. All right, uh, we got a lot more coming up on the show. Next, we got the news roundup. I'm gonna play that clip for you guys, that trivia clip. I hope you have made your guess. And if you don't know what it is, Fear not, I will tell you in just a couple minutes. We're going to be right back here on Cabra Nights.